Hello and welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andrew Degler. In today's episode, let us listen together to an interview that was recorded by our editor Robin Wouters with Fred Lardieg, a partner at Mubadala Ventures Europe. Hey, this is Robin Wouters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual, this time by Fred Lardieg. He is partner at Mubadala Ventures here in Europe. Welcome to the show, Fred. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, thanks for having me, Robin. Great. We're going to talk about your role at Mubadala in a second. But last time we spoke, which was a couple of weeks ago when we caught up, you mentioned to me that you actually have a really interesting professional background as well. So maybe we can walk through some of your uh, sort of professional history before we get to the current uh, state of things. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the tech ecosystem in Europe for the past 20 years. I've had many different roles. One of my uh, very first jobs was as a software developer in a startup uh, back in 1999. I was one of the early employees. I was an employee number 10. And we were developing a mobile commerce solution. That was a, a business that was way ahead of its time. It had a fully transactional platform on, on mobile phones. So it allowed people to buy pretty much anything, you know, from their web phone at the time, uh, from flowers to chocolates to DVDs. And, you know, we managed to raise $20 million of venture capital money. We grew very quickly from 10 to 120 people. We grew over uh, four different countries. And we had our solution on uh, most of the web portals of uh, telcos at the time. So we were sending our solution to Vodafone and Orange and T-Mobile. But unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be the time of the mobile internet, right? So nobody was using the mobile internet and even fewer people were willing to buy anything on their phone at the time. So we managed to sell the business to a Nasdaq listed company, but it, it wasn't a great exit for, for, uh, for anybody. But that's how I fell in love with tech. I absolutely love the ups and downs and, and the fast pace of, of startup. And I was, a, as I was saying, I was a software developer in this team and Gradually, I, I grew up the ranks. I was managing a small team and then a bigger team. And then I ended up managing the whole uh, software development team. So that's where my passion for tech comes from. And after that, uh, I've done many different things in the, uh, in the tech industry. I've tried to set up my own startup. I created a local marketplace for local services in Silicon Valley with some of the people who came from that, uh, from that first startup that I was working at. And after that, I decided to move to the, to the VC side, to the investment side, essentially. So I've been a VC for the past 10 years now. First, I was at uh, Vodafone Ventures, the corporate VC of uh, Vodafone. And then I moved to Octopus Ventures. Uh, so I was there for seven years. I was a partner at Octopus Ventures. Uh, during the seven years when I was there, asset under management grew from about 100 million to more than a billion. So really fantastic growth uh, in terms of the, the money that they manage. And then two years ago, I made the decision to join uh, Mubadala Ventures, essentially. Great. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, but just to go back to your background, I think that's super interesting. I mean, being a techie in a startup <laughs> back before the turn of the millennium, actually, uh, is quite quite something. And it must have given you a lot of uh, experience and learnings over the years as well. Um, so I'm wondering what went wrong 10 years ago when you uh, went from uh, the startup side to the investment side? What happened? Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to go back 10 years and, and, you know, the world was just completely different. There was no ecosystem in London, right? There were like a few crazy people working for startups and nobody understood what they, what they were doing. Uh, you didn't have a fabric of, you know, incubators and seed funds and, and VCs and all of this, right? So, so the ecosystem just wasn't there. So it was just really, really hard 
to raise money, to grow, uh, people were not ready as well, right? So the, the, the demand was not here for mobile services, for sure, but also for, you know, internet services. A lot, a lot less people were online. A lot less people were ready to transact online. So all of that takes time. What is fascinating, I think, is that the ideas haven't changed, right? So believe it or not, when I was at that startup that was mo doing mobile internet, so we were struggling with traction. You know, we, we were successful in selling our... Uh, solution to the, to these telcos, but in terms of end-user traction, how many people were using our uh, solution, it was very, very few. So we looked at pivoting a number of times and we look at what else could we be doing. Uh, and as part of this exercise, we looked around us at what some of the other startups were, were already doing. And believe it or not, in 1999, it, there was a service in London that allowed people to send a text message and to get a taxi delivered to their precise location. Right, so Uber existed already, uh, right? But uh, you know, it, so so, so the, the ideas are not really new. All these things are, um, you know, people. It's easy to come up with the ideas, but the timing is key, right? So you have to time your startup right in terms of the market, the demand, and all of this, right? So I really think that we are now in the golden age of tech in Europe. Uh, if you look at the quality of the startups that we have. And also the the quality of the of, of the financing landscape that we have, you know, from seed to Series A, Series B, and to growth, it's so much easier for these companies to uh, raise money and to scale very fast, right? So we're in a completely different space now. Yeah, no, absolutely true. And also, what you said about community resonates a lot with me because I've been writing about the tech industry here in Europe for the last 15 years, and the first five to seven years of that. You know, you would talk about startups and scale-ups and it would be already sort of interesting to see what was happening. But I had no idea what a community or an ecosystem was until it started really maturing. Uh, first in places like London and Berlin, now, of course, Paris, Stockholm, etc. as well. Uh, but it's quite quite fascinating to me how quickly things have changed over the last 10 years, especially in the last five years, I think, in particular, in terms of maturation, both on the venture side, uh, also on the LP side, but also on, on the startup side, like more ambitious founders, uh, more you know, global category leaders and more, more general, you know, really good entrepreneurs coming from, from all over Europe, I think. Uh, I mean, does that resonate with you as well? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely what I've been witnessing, you know, over the past uh, over the past ten years. And you're right, it has accelerated over the past five years. I think what has helped that is that it, you know, obviously, it's not one single thing, right? It's everybody doing things on the ground. You know, it's from the accelerators, it's things like Tech Hub, you know, that started the first uh, accelerator and community on the ground. But it's also that combined with at the other end starting to see the really big companies coming out of Europe, right? So, the, the, you know, the fact that Spotify was the first tech company IPOing at more than, you know, I think it was 30 billion, something like this from, from memory, you know, more than 10 billion. That was a big wow moment for people to say, oh, hang on. Um, that thing actually comes from Europe, right? Many Americans, you know, were surprised at the time of the IPO. They were like, what do you mean? I, you know, Spotify, everybody uses it. It's, a, it's an American company, surely. Actually, no, it was a Swedish company, right? Coming from a tiny country in Europe, guess what? And so, you know, that was the first one. And then we've had more and more UI passed in the, is the latest one. Again, you know, IPO at more than 30 billion uh, on the US market. Uh, so these kind of things really help, I think, the... Uh, on the global scales to to show that Europe is now capable of you know building these tech giants right so that makes a huge difference for the ecosystem 
Yeah, those were definitely uh, major catalysts. Um, I realized that we're almost 10 minutes in and we've actually never uh, discussed uh, Mubadala before uh, in any of the podcasts or in, in this conversation for that matter. So why don't you uh, inform our listeners, what is Mubadala and what is Mubadala Ventures Europe? Yeah, sure. So indeed, Mubadala is a newcomer to the, to the uh, tech scene in Europe. Uh, so let me give you a bit of background. So Mubadala is uh, one of the two sovereign wealth funds out of uh, Abu Dhabi. It's a company that manages about 232 billion globally. And historically, you know, they've, uh, they've been quite an active uh, investor doing private equity investment in a range of different sectors, from healthcare to uh, real estate, uh, to aerospace, to semiconductors uh, and to energy as well, right? You know, about five years ago now, they decided to invest more into the, into the tech sector, uh, they started by investing into the, the SoftBank Vision Fund. They are the third largest uh, investor in that 100 billion fund. And then on the, on the back of that, they decided to create a, a global ventures platform. So that platform has different pillars. The first pillar was a, a, a direct VC fund in the US. Uh, the second pillar is the fund that I manage here with my, uh, with my partners in Europe. It's a 450 million euro fund. Uh, and the third pillar is a, is a VC fund in, in, the, uh, in the Middle East uh, region based in Abu Dhabi. Altogether, that platform has a, a global remit and looks for entrepreneurs with global ambitions that we can help you know, grow uh, across the globe, essentially. When it comes to the, to the European Ventures Fund, uh, it's a 450 million fund. It's focused on Series B and above, right? So we are at the early stage of growth. We do tickets anywhere. First ticket is anywhere between five to twenty million, and uh, we look, you know, for entrepreneurs with a differentiated proposition uh, that have a proven product market fit, and we help them scale. Essentially, that's where we come in. So the way we position ourselves in in the European tech ecosystem is that we can be a, a life cycle investor, meaning that we can come at the Series B stage and we can help the company grow all the way to the IPO or to the M&A, whatever is the most relevant for the company. And, and the reason we are uniquely placed to, to do that is because we've got access to a number of pockets of money that can do the later rounds for, for the company. So it can be, so typically with our fund, we come in at the Series B round, we can do the Series B and we can participate in the Series C and D typically. And then, you know, the other pockets of money that we have access to can be the Mubadala balance sheet, for instance. But it can also be some of the other funds where we are an investor. So I mentioned the SoftBank Vision Fund, but that's not the only one. We're also an investor in companies, in funds such as Dragonier or Iconic or Silver Lake, right? So when the time comes of the you know, really big tickets like the 100 million tickets, right, or, or, or the 200 million rounds or 300 million rounds, we can play at that level as well. And this is what we've done uh, with a few companies now in Europe. We, we're only two years old in Europe, but we've been able to demonstrate that with Kazoo, for instance. Kazoo is the latest uh, business from Alex Chesterman, uh, probably one of the best tech entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs in, in the UK. And Kazoo in is Europe, an online... Say. In Europe, probably, yes, as well. I would agree with that. And, and um, so Kazoo is an online uh, retailer of used cars. They refurbish the cars and deliver them to, to, their, uh, to their customers. With this business, we managed to get into the, uh, the Series B round. We put a small ticket because the round was uh, quite busy, but we put a small ticket there. And then since then, the business has raised a Series C, a Series D, 
and uh, is, is now about to, to go public through a SPAC merger. And essentially, we've been, as Mubadala, we've been able to invest at every single round of, of the company, right? So every six months, there was a new round and we were able to put more money and more money into the business. So in total so far, we have put 47 million into the business and we are due to put even more uh, when if, if the SPAC merger actually happens, uh, which is going to be in uh, July or August this year. Yeah, I gather that you have uh, very deep pockets and also connections to, to other organizations with deep pockets. Uh, but aside from the money, is there a benefit to having a company like Mubadala, the, the size and the scope of it? Does it help you in terms of, in the way that you can support your, your portfolio companies uh, with scaling internationally, for example? Yeah, absolutely right. So we've got a local presence in the US, in the Middle East, in Europe. Uh, we also have one in China, which I didn't mention as well, but we've got a partnership. We've got a joint venture in, in China as well, right? So we've got direct experience of these markets and we can help companies, you know, expand into this, uh, in, into these different markets. That's for sure. We also have some. A really close relationship with a number of different governments. So, for instance, we've got a really close relationship with uh, with the French government, and and we can, you know, uh, companies enter this market. So we've helped Tier Mobility, for instance, uh, which is the, um, one of the uh, electric scooter sharing businesses in Europe. Uh, Tier Mobility is one of our investments. We've helped them expand into the uh, into the French markets. We're also developing a very good relationship with the uh, with the UK government. As uh, you know, as you may have seen, we've recently announced that you know Mubadala will invest you know a large amount of money into the uh, UK healthcare ecosystem. So you know we've got um, you know really good relationship. And then the, the the other thing that we do for our companies is uh, we also try to help them on the commercial side as well. So. Mubadala owns uh, about 60 different companies in the sectors that I mentioned at the beginning, which are, you know, healthcare and aerospace and semiconductor. And uh, for the startups that we invest in, we try to create some uh, commercial re relationship with these, you know, very large companies. You know, for instance, you know, in the US, in our US portfolio, we've managed to secure, uh, so there's a... Um, uh, there's a company that has a cybersecurity offering, essentially, uh, which is uh, you know an enterprise software type of offering. We've managed to secure for them um, you know a contract that is worth more than a million dollar uh, with one of the Mubadala companies, right? So that's the kind of things that we uh, try to do on an ongoing basis for, and and that applies more for the B two B type of companies, uh, but that's something that is quite valued actually by by our portfolio companies. Okay, so um, in Europe, you've been active for about two years. Uh, you mentioned 450 million euros at your uh, disposal. Um, do you invest in startups only or do you also act as a sort of fund of funds where you invest in, in early stage investment firms across Europe, for example? Yes, absolutely. So we also have a small fund of fund program in Europe and we invest into uh, early stage uh, VCs, uh, VC funds, right? So uh, for instance, we are uh, an investor in Stride, uh, the, the VC fund of, of Fred Destin. Uh, we are an investor in Blossom, in Lakestar as well. And in France, we are an investor in Singular and in the future positive capital. So that gives you an idea of the kind of early stage VC funds that we invest in. We like to have a close relationship with the, uh, the people who manage this, uh, these funds. Uh, it's important for us to be very close to the ground and, and to you know, how companies are, are progressing at, at the early stages. 
Got it. Um, so on the startup side, you invest in, in growth stage companies across Europe. Is there any particular sector or geography in Europe that you're particularly interested in? Yeah, so we are... Uh you know, we're pretty wide in terms of the sectors that we look at. It goes from, you know, healthcare and health tech all the way to your typical digital, you know, business from enterprise software to SaaS to uh, consumer marketplaces to mobility, which has been a, you know, a, a big topic for us. So, yeah, so, so we're, pre we're pretty broad in terms of the, you know, topics that we focus on right now. Uh, they've been, you know, two key topics that we've been focusing on. One is around uh, health tech. So we've been investing in a French company called Aukin that leverage artificial intelligence to uh, help drug discovery. Um, so that's uh, something that we've been quite keen on. Uh, there's another one that we uh, have done as well that we haven't announced, I think, uh, which is going to come out soon. And then uh, the other topic that we quite like is Industry 4.0. So I define this as the uh, application of all the latest developments of computing to uh, the industrial sector, let's, uh, let's put it uh, broadly. Um, so, you know, using AI in factories to make factories more efficient, using, you know, new generation of smart robots that, you, that use computer vision, or using new tracking system in warehouses to, uh, to track goods, you know, uh, both inside the warehouse, but also outside of that, right? So... That's the kind of things that we've been uh, looking at. Obviously, uh, as uh, Mubadala, we've got quite an industrial background. So the whole industry 4.0 could work quite well for us because we could, again, you know, uh, facilitate some commercial relationship here for, uh, potentially for startups. Great. Now, we've talked about how today in Europe, it's quite a fertile ground for investments, especially on the growth stage. I mean, we're on an upswing. Everything is going up and to the right for the most part. Uh, but what do you think are some of the things that need to be improved in Europe, whether it's on the policy side, on the financing side? Um, are there any barriers to for Europe to go to the next level? Yeah, that's a good question. Look, I, I think so, so. There are probably you know a couple of things that you know Europe could do. So first of all, the, the one thing that we are clearly missing still, for you know, if you compare us to the to the to the, to the U.S. ecosystem, which is the most developed, you know, having our own you know tech giants like Google, like Facebook, uh, that provide for me two things to the ecosystem. One is clearly a constant flow of you know, techies and people who are really good at technology and product managers and product, you know, and marketing managers and all of this. So we, we still don't have that same level of flow in that sense. But for VCs, what these companies also provide is, um, you know, is a safety net if you want, right? So what I mean by this is, you know, if you're a CD investor in Silicon Valley and you do a few investments that go sideways, you go and see your friends at Google and say, hey, would you mind just buying them for like a million or two? Right. And, and you get your money back essentially on these investments. We don't have that, you know, constant flow of like really small acquisitions that just de-risk the investment for the early stage investors. We don't have that in Europe. We, we, we are doing okay on the big ones, on the big acquisitions, but the, the small ones, we don't have that flow, right? So if you, we've got the big tech players like SAP or, you know, some of the telcos, you know, but they don't have that habit of just buying, you know, doing these acquire hires on a rolling basis, right? Uh, so that's missing. Now, having said that, I think, you know, you can't just come up with this kind of stuff. We can't, you can't just, you know, create your own Google locally. But I think we are, we are getting there. You know, it takes, that's really the end of the cycle, right? When you think about, you know, how many cycles you need to go through, 
you need several of these cycles. And I think we are gradually getting there. UiPath may, might be the big, you know, European, you know, Goliath uh, that is going to, you know, create this kind of things. Uh, but we've got, you know, the, the Klarna of this world. Um, you know, we've got these big, you know, financial institutions, maybe some of the... The, the, the new banks, the neo banks, right, will be some of these Goliaths that could be the, the European champions that can do this kind of things for us. So I think that's one way. It's going to take time. I don't think the, the European governments need to do anything around this apart from supporting their local champions. So that's one thing. The other thing that Europe could be doing is genuinely supporting its, its tech champions. I think some countries do this better than others. But, you know, if you think about some of the re regulations that some of the countries are still putting up, uh, it makes things still a bit hard, right? So if I can give one example, for instance, you know, uh, we are an investor in Glovo, uh, which is a food delivery company. You know, on one hand, you know, they are glad to say, hey, you know, we've got this company that is worth several billions now. Uh, it's a great champion of the tech ecosystem. On the other hand, when it comes to the employment situation with the rider, uh, with the riders and everything, you know, the government is not making things easy, right? In terms of coming to conclusion relatively quickly and agreeing to things relatively quickly, right? So I think there's still some things that some of the governments are trying to protect in some, you know, specific sectors. So that's something that they could be uh, improving on. Yep, I agree with all those points. I would add maybe uh, on the stock exchange part, because you mentioned Kazoo, which of course doing a merger with a SPAC in the US. You mentioned Spotify, which went public, but in the US. So I think on, in terms of like liquidity events uh, for stock exchange in Europe, there's still quite a, quite a gap as well. Not sure if you agree with that, but that's something that I uh, would add. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, all the European stock exchanges have been quite slow to react to the SPAC trend. I think they are trying to catch up now with the U.S., but, you know, you've seen a huge amount of companies getting listed in the U.S. because of that, right? So 100% agree that there's, there's a lot more that could be done here. Yeah. Great. Well, we're going to keep it at that. It was very, very nice to uh, learn your backstory, but also learn more about Mubadala. I'm sure our listeners will agree. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Fred. Thank you very much, Robin, for uh, having me today. Thank you. And this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, do follow us today wherever you get podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I'm Andrew Degler, and I will talk to you again in a couple of days. For now, take care and enjoy your week. Bye-bye.